Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, if it's your very first time here at Connect, welcome. I'm so glad you chose to join us. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. I know we've got some folks who are watching online as well. So thank you, those of you who are watching us live online this morning as well. Uh, so good to see you. And uh, we're, talking, we're, we're talking right now in Connect um, a series called Signs. And it kind of refers to the miracles that Jesus did. And I was thinking about it this week. The word miracle, we do, we do kind of throw that around quite a lot, don't we? we? We talk about, you know, people are looking for a miracle weight loss drug. You know, that pill I can take three times a day and the pounds will just fall off. You know, I need that miracle weight loss drug. There's a product you can buy at Menards called Miracle Grow. And you pour it on your flowers and miraculously they grow. Now, I, I think they were gonna grow anyway. So I'm, I think it's a bit of a stretch to call it Miracle Grow. I've got one weed around the side of my house every time I cut the grass. There it is, it's just growing. No miracle there, it just grows. Um, there are miracle hair restoration products I've seen advertised. They don't work, trust me, I know. So, uh, you know, all these things touting miraculous solutions because we want to see these miracles, many of which don't really provide the miracles that we hoped they would. But, you know, 2,000 years ago, there was a man by the name of Jesus, and he transformed the world in which he lived. Just his teaching alone just, just the way he treated people, especially some of the outcasts of society in his time. If that's all he ever did, I think we'd still be talking about him today. I think 2,000 years later, we'd still be talking about this amazing man who, who talked with such wisdom and impacted so many lives. But one of the reasons I think that we still talk about Jesus today is it wasn't just what he taught. It wasn't just the way he treated people. It was these miracles that he performed. These miraculous things that took place as a result of his ministry. We can read about them. There are, there are four guys in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They, they write the story of Jesus' life. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they wrote fairly early on. But years later, John, one of the disciples, decided, well, I want to write down uh, my recollections. And he decides to write this letter. And he, he refers to the miracles as signs. When you read John's letter, he talks about the signs that Jesus performs, these miraculous signs. And I love that word because a sign points you to something. Thing. And these miraculous signs pointed us and pointed the readers of John's letter to who Jesus was. Not just to Jesus himself, but to, to who he was. But John actually tells us in his letter, in John 20, 30 and 31, he tells us why he wrote this down, why he felt it was so important to write down uh, the story of the life of Jesus, and in particular, some of these signs. He says in verse 30, the disciples, of whom I was one, we saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So he isn't even telling us about all of them. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Years have gone by now since Jesus had walked on earth. He, he wants people to continue to believe in him, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You know, the word believe is in John's letter 98 times. It's like a central theme of his letter. Everything he writes is, is built around this idea of he wants his audience, his readers, to believe in Jesus the way he believed in Jesus. And one of the ways that he wants to help people believe and understand is by uh, talking to the miraculous things that John saw with his own eyes. 
And rather than write out all these dozens and dozens and dozens of miracles, John just decides to narrow it down and he chooses seven signs. And in this coming series, we're going to look at all seven of the signs that John laid out. And I think the reason he put them in there is because he wanted us to understand that biblical faith can be belief based on evidence. Biblical faith isn't just a hope in the pie in the sky kind of idea. It's like, no, there there were people who saw these things take place. This was evidence for them to make their belief decision. But I think, because you've got to remember, John wrote this years after uh, Jesus had, had lived. So he had plenty of time to think through what signs he wants to include in his letter. So I think the reason he chose the seven he chose is because in and of themselves, they're amazing stories, but... Each one gave us a little insight into who Jesus was, a little insight into the nature of Jesus, a little insight into um, what God thinks of us today. And I don't know that John realized when he was writing this, but that it wasn't only going to impact the audience in his day that were reading it. It was going to impact people like you and me 2,000 years later, still reading the words of John. And this morning... We're going to look at the second sign, this second miracle. And we're going to find it's an amazing story in and of itself. But there's this this truth buried within this story, this, this insight into something I think Jesus wanted to teach and demonstrate through this sign to the people of his day, but also to us years later. So to set you up for the story I'm going to tell, have you ever found yourself in a desperate situation? A situation of of desperation, there's something where um, it's not just I need someone to help me in this situation, I need the right person. There's there's really only one person who can solve this problem. There's only one person who can help and my desperation is because I've got to get to that specific person. Some of you... um, we're here last week. My dad passed away recently. I shared that last Sunday. But um, fortunately, uh, as a family, we got to spend Christmas and New Year with my mum and dad. They traveled over here to America, spent three weeks here over Christmas and New Year. And it was such a blessing because um, for about two years, they'd not been able to come because of COVID and travel restrictions, that kind of thing. And dad's health was declining, but he was still in a place where he could travel back in December of last year. So uh, we arranged for them to come over here and spend three weeks with us. It was just such a great trip. It really was just precious quality time that we got to have with my mom and dad. But um, because they hadn't traveled for a long time and they were getting older, I wasn't comfortable with them coming here uh, just by themselves, unaccompanied. So I said to mom, why don't I come back to England, spend a few days there, and then I'll fly back with you on the same flight. That way you haven't got to worry about the bags or the tickets or what gate to go to. I'll be there. I'll help you get all sorted. And then when you go home again in January, I'll fly back with you uh, on the same flights and help you again and then come back after that. So that's what I did. So on our return trip from Chicago to London, uh, we were at the airport, we checked all our checked bags and then we went through security and uh, my mum and I both had like a carry-on bag each and mine came through the machine, no problems, and hers came through and then it kind of went, did that left turn and went across to where the the TSA people are at and they're like, ma'am, is this your bag? I'm like, oh, what's this? So, so we went over there and we opened the bag and he just starts pulling out bottle after bottle of shampoo. I mean, like 
10 bottles of shampoo. It's it just loads of it. I was like, Mom, you can't have liquid in your bag. She goes, oh, I forgot. She said to the guy, I'm so sorry, I forgot. Could you let me off? Like, sure, yes. You seem a nice lady. I'll, I'll just put them all back in. No, of course not. They have rules they've got to follow. They're like, no, man, we've got to throw it all in the trash. She's like, oh, no, I spent so much money on that shampoo. Is there any other option? He goes, well, you could take it back out and check it, um, and it can go you know, in the, the plane itself, and then you can get it when you get to London. She goes, yes, yes, let's do that, let's do that. So, so I got them settled. I went back. I got the bag. I took it out outside, went back to the check-in station, checked it in, came back and met them, got onto the plane, crisis averted. But as we sat there, the plane hasn't taken off yet, still at the gate, but the door's closed. I'm thinking about all this, and I remembered when we put her bag through, we took her laptop and iPad out, because it had to be separate bin. I said, Mum, did you ever put your laptop and iPad back in that bag? She goes, I don't remember. I'm like, oh, I don't remember either. So then I just start to panic because one of two things has happened. Either we've left it behind at security, which isn't good, or we did put it back and now it's going to be packed in the plane, un, you know, in an unsecured bag. And I don't like to put my laptops or iPads in checked luggage. I like to have them with me. So I'm, I'm getting nervous e- either way. But I realize as I'm getting more and more desperate, I've got to talk to the right person. I need to somehow talk to her. I didn't know who that person was, but I had to find out. So I uh, managed to get the attention of a flight attendant. I said, Hey, I think we might have left a laptop and an iPad at security. Is there anything you can do to help? She goes, I'm not sure. She goes, let me go and check. So she leaves. Another flight attendant comes back. Turns out this is the, the head flight attendant, like the one in charge of all of them. And she said, now what seems to be the problem? I said, well, I, left my, I think we left my uh, laptop and iPad at the gate. Is there anything you could do to help? She goes, well, let me go and check. So she goes for a few minutes. She comes back. She goes, I've just spoken to the pilot. I'm like, the pilot? That's got to be the right person. She says, he's going to try and call security from the plane and see what we can find. I was like, oh, thank goodness. So I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of worrying more and more because I'm thinking, man, what if it is in the bag and someone steals it and this is a seven-hour flight. By the time we landed, someone's already accessed all of their bank accounts and wiped them out. They've sold their house. I'm thinking of all the the terrible things that could happen in the seven hours that we can't get this laptop. And then um, someone comes back and goes, the pilot needs a description of the laptop and iPad. I was like, well, it's a silver laptop. Laptop, it's got a sticker on it. Uh, the iPads, you know, I was giving all the description, and uh, another few minutes passed. I'm still sitting there, just feeling desperate. And then suddenly, I'm sat near the door. I see the jet bridge start to come back out towards the plane. I'm like, <gasps> so the door opens, and there's a guy at the door on the other side with the laptop and iPad. There's the flight attendant. They give it. I mean, honestly, it's just <laughs> we're talking about miracles. This, <laughs> this is a miracle. Like, I just don't think stuff like this actually happens. So God was really kind of looking after us. But we had, we'd left it at security. The pilot got a hold of the people in security. They said, yeah, we've got it. We'll bring it to the plane. We hadn't taken off yet, so they were able to open the door, and we still took off on time, so the passengers weren't mad at us. But uh, it was just, I remember in that moment of desperation, I just, if I can just talk to the right person, it turned out the pilot was the right person because he talked to security, and our problem was solved. And this morning, we're going to read a story about an encounter Jesus had with a, a man who, who was incredibly desperate. And his wasn't over a lost laptop. It was something far more important than that. We can read about it in John chapter 4. It's at the end of John chapter 4, and it starts in verse 46. As he, Jesus, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana. So he's been to Cana before. If you were here last week, uh, the first sign took place in Cana. Jesus was at a wedding there and he turned water into wine. So he's back in Cana um, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus 
to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. It's a short passage, and we don't know a lot about this person. In, in this version here, the New Living Translation, it says he's a government official. Some uh, refer to him as a nobleman. So we don't know an awful lot about who this person is. John doesn't really give us a lot of details. So we do know, though, that he's an important, powerful person, a person in a position of influence. And this is important to know because in Jesus' time, there was, there was really only two groups of people. There were those with wealth and power, and there were those without. Those without sometimes were in extreme poverty. Others would just kind of be able to get by. But it wasn't really a culture where you worked your way up, where there was an entrepreneurial system where I started out poor, but I made it uh, because I, you know, it really was a, a class system where there were either people who were uh, poor, lower class, or there were people who were wealthy, upper class. And what determined which of those two groups you found yourself in was basically where you were born, whose parents were your parents. Even the, the government positions very often were handed down from, from father to son, generation to generation. So we know then that this particular man was born into a wealthy or influential family. We know that because of his position in life, he would have access to education, to status, to good food and plenty of food, drink and plenty of drink, good clothing, shelter, and even the best medicine possible. People in Jesus' day who, who were born in this level of um, affluence would have access to the best medicine of its time. So we know that if there was a way that medicine could have helped his son, he would have had access to it. So obviously, nothing has been able to help. All of his power and his wealth, none of it has been able to help him. His son is sick and dying. He's in a desperate situation. He's exhausted all of his options, and he just, if I could just find someone who could help. If only there was someone, I've tried everything. If only there was somebody who could help. And he hears this story about a man in Galilee, 20 miles away. It's a day's journey away. But he's so desperate, he's willing to leave the bedside of his dying son, knowing that there's a chance that while he's gone, his son may die and he won't be there with him. But he's so desperate that he's willing to travel a day's journey away to find this Jesus who he's heard stories about in the hope that maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus is a last ditch attempt. Maybe Jesus can help my sick son. Here's what you need to know this morning. He's not going in search of Jesus because he believes he's the Messiah. He's not even going in search of Jesus because he, he's heard these great things about him and wants to follow him or become one of his disciples. He's looking for Jesus because he's desperate. And he plans on begging him to come back to his home to heal his son. You know, this story, I think, shows us a little insight into faith, our own faith, this, this guy's faith, the faith of the people around Jesus at the time and our faith today. And I think what we see displayed here in this man's life is what I've called crisis faith. 
crisis faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. And if you look back through your life, if you're honest with yourself, you, you, you'll know that when I made that decision to follow Jesus, it was in a crisis moment of my life. There was a situation that took place that, that sent me towards Jesus, crisis faith. We've all experienced it at one point or another. When the, we look up in our mirror and the blue lights are flashing behind us, instantly it's like, oh Jesus, please. <laughs> we start to pray, let that be another car, not my car. When you turn over the exam paper and you start to realize that everything you've studied for, none of it's in the test. <laughs> that crisis faith kicks in at that moment, Jesus, I'm gonna need your help here. When the letter arrives from the hospital and you're worried about opening it because you know that the bill could very well be something you can't afford. Or worse still, it's news of a result of a test that you've been dreading. Whatever it may be, whatever situation, maybe you're here this morning and you can remember a time where that crisis faith kicked in where in desperation you turned to Jesus because you knew that this was out of your control. Maybe you're here this morning and that's why you're here. Because you're in a crisis moment right now. You are desperate for Jesus. That's who this guy is. That's who this father is. He's not looking to meet the Messiah. He's not looking to hear his teaching. He's just a crisis situation. His son is dying. And he's just hoping and praying that Jesus will be able to help. So let's see how Jesus responds. Verse 48. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me? unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Now, as I was preparing for this message and I read that verse, there was a part of me that kind of wants to skip over that verse because I don't like that verse. I, I love this, this view I've got of Jesus, this compassionate, caring person who wants to um, perform miracles and transform lives. And when I read this, it sounds a little bit heartless for him to say, Will you, seriously, you want a miracle? But as I was studying more, I, I actually don't think Jesus was saying this to the dad. I think there was a crowd of people around following Jesus, trying to figure out if he was who he said he was. Wanting to see the signs, wanting to see the miracles. And, and Jesus saw an opportunity in this moment with this father to not only respond to his cry for help, but also to use it as kind of a teaching moment for the people around him. I think when Jesus said this, he was saying to the people around him, Will you ever believe in me unless you see signs and wonders? He was in Cana. People had heard of Jesus. Maybe there were some in the crowd carrying big bottles of water. They're like, hey, I heard what you did before. Yeah, any chance you could uh, do that again? They were there to see the signs and wonders. They wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus knew that this wasn't a sustainable plan for his mission. Because he knew that there would come a day where his life would end and the people would no longer get to see him perform these signs and miracles. He knew that even in his lifetime, there would be people in other areas who wouldn't get to see with their own eyes him perform these miracles. So knowing this, I think Jesus comes up with this incredible plan on how he's gonna respond to this father and son situation. I'll dig a little deeper here into why I think Jesus said what he said at the end. But now let's continue on with the story and see what happens. Verse 49, the official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. This was the man's plan. Jesus, if you'll just come to my house, I think he may live. And Jesus told him, go back home 
your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said. And he started home. Now, if you're familiar with the life of Jesus, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've read about Jesus, you'll know that there were several times where Jesus performed some amazing miracles um, from a distance. There was things he did at other times where people were healed, lives were transformed, and he wasn't there in person to do it. But we know this now at the end of Jesus' life. This guy didn't know this at that point. It's not like Jesus said, hey, go home, um, your son will live. And he's like, oh, you're doing one of those from afar miracles. Perfect, good, all right, that's all I need. I'm good, I'll, I'll head home now. He has no context for that, no idea that Jesus is even able to do that. But something about the way Jesus said it caused that man to believe and to start home. I mean, think about it. This guy has left his house. I imagine the conversation with his wife, you've got to go and find this Jesus. I've heard that he can heal people who are sick. He can transform lives without hope. You've got to go find him and do not come back without him. I don't want to see you back here without Jesus. If you come back without, your mission's failed. We need Jesus to come back. So, so this guy has gone to meet with Jesus with an understanding of what needs to happen. He needs Jesus to come back to his house. And in that moment, Jesus does something different. Jesus sends him on his way saying, your son's going to be okay. And I thought about it. I thought, you know, sometimes we can be like that, can't we? Sometimes we can come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I really hope you answer this prayer and I really hope this is the way you answer it. We say, Jesus, I want you to solve this situation in my life and this is how I need you to solve it. And sometimes Jesus moves differently. Sometimes Jesus responds in a different way. In this particular situation, Jesus didn't respond the way the man thought he would. And yet still, we hear that the man believed what Jesus said and started home. And I think what we see here on display is, is a transformation in this man's life. He went from crisis faith, desperation, to what I call confident faith. Confident faith. He had enough confidence in what Jesus said to send him on his journey home. He didn't know whether or not his son was healed. He had no idea, but he had just enough confidence, just enough faith in Jesus to allow him to make his way back without Jesus. I think for some of us this morning, maybe Jesus is challenging us a little bit to have that same confident faith. Just enough confidence to believe. So, Obviously, with um, the story I just told about my parents, I've done a lot of traveling uh, in the last few months, a lot more uh, flying than I would normally do in a given time. So um, I've used the American Airlines app quite a lot recently. I've, I've really kind of got used to how well it works. And I love it. It's a great app. It's on my phone. I can put my boarding pass on there. Um, I can look and it tells me what gates I've got to get to, what time the flight's going to take off. If there's a change, it updates in the app. I get notifications saying the gate's changed or the flight's 10 minutes late, whatever it might be. And uh, it's a great app to have, especially because some of the times I've traveled recently, um, I've been on two flights. There's been a connecting flight. So I'll fly to one place, make a connection, and then fly on to my next final destination. So I'll look and I'll see that I've got an hour and a half 
layover, so there's plenty of time. But, but then I'll get a notification saying that my flight might be delayed, so I'm a little bit nervous, so I check that. So, so one feature on my app that I love, and it's just popped up on the screen behind me, at the very bottom it says, Incoming Flight Info. Incoming Flight, right there. So I use this all the time, because when I'm at the airport, waiting for my plane to come, I'll click on that, and here's what I get to see. I get to see that the plane I'm waiting to take is on its way, or it's on time. I know that the Chicago flight is on its way to Peoria, which means that, because I'm in Peoria, I'll get on that plane and head on to Chicago or wherever else I'm going. Sometimes it'll say delayed, and then I can kind of work it out and think, okay, well, it's only delayed by 10 minutes, so that means it's probably going to be a 10 minutes delayed taking off so I can still get to where I need to go in time. And, and sometimes it says canceled. And then my heart drops because I know that's going to have an impact on me and I start to make plans. But whenever it says on time or delayed just by a little bit, I have enough confidence to believe I'm going to get to my final destination. Now, anything could still happen. The crew may not show up. The plane may land, and before I get on, the check engine light comes on, and they have to change something. I think that's how it works on planes. Um, you know, the, the weather might suddenly change. So just because I know the incoming plane is coming, it doesn't guarantee that I'm going to get to my final destination. But I tell you what, it gives me just a little bit more confidence knowing, okay, the fact that there is a plane on its way to my airport now <laughs> means that I am going to get on that plane and get to where I want to go. And I think that's the kind of faith this father had when Jesus said, go home, your son is healed. Just the smallest amount of faith is all it took. Because I think sometimes we get hung up on this idea of faith when it comes to our own spiritual journey. We can think, well, I want to believe in Jesus, but there's still so much I'm unsure of. There's so many questions I don't have answers to. I want to believe that he heard my prayer and he's going to answer my prayer, but I can think of so many things that, that would stop it from happening, that could go wrong. And, and because of that, we kind of stall. We refuse to move forward because we've got all these unanswered questions. And we think that in order to be able to take that first step, I've got to be able to figure everything out. I've got to be able to answer every single question. But the guy in this story shows us that sometimes... You just have to move in that direction with the confidence that what Jesus said is true. And some of us this morning, I think, need to take just those first few steps. Those first few steps towards him. We may still have questions, and that's okay, because you don't need to have enough faith to know the answers to all the questions. Just enough faith to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to step in this direction and trust you. That's what that father did, and listen to how it played out. Verse 51, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And the father thought, what a coincidence. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that, does it? Because the father knew what had happened. And because of that, he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. I mean, imagine that. The man's on his way home. He's not even arrived home yet. And the servants are so excited. They're on their way to get him. And they meet on the road. They're like, Master, your son is well. He's healed, he's alive, he's completely better. It's, it wasn't even news of like, hey, he's getting a bit better. It was like, no, he is completely, completely healthy. 
at the exact time that Jesus has said, your son will live. I love the, the, the idea here that Jesus, that God's timing is perfect. Sometimes we pray and we're like, God, it'd be great if you could do this at this point. It doesn't happen the way we think. We're like, God, come on. But, but God is always exactly on time. And look at the impact it had on this man's whole family. He and his entire household believed in Jesus. He and his entire household believed in Jesus. There's that word again. John finishes this account by saying that they believed. This is the central theme of his letter. And in John's opinion, it's the greatest part of the story. Yes, it's great that the son was healed, but for John, it's like the whole household believed. Believed in Jesus. That Jesus was who he said he was, the Messiah, God in flesh. And in that moment, I love this because in this moment of the story, the very end, it moves from this idea of, of confident faith to confirmed faith. Confirmed faith. Their faith was confirmed in that moment. Jesus is who he claims to be. I think there are so many of us here this morning who are in that situation as followers of Jesus who could tell that story. You know, there came a time in my life, a time in my life where I, I was confident that, that this was the right direction to go. I was confident that I should explore this relationship with Jesus, but I still wasn't 100% sure. And now, now that I'm following him, it's confirmed. I can see the evidence of him in my life. I remember watching this movie when it came out and um, I've shown this clip in churches in, in over the years because it's such a great picture, I think, of what it's like for, for those of us here this morning who've made that decision to follow Jesus and, and take that step of faith, that confident step that leaded to that confirmed faith. So take a look at this. Love it. Indiana Jones, he can't see the bridge that's there. He can't see it with his own eyes. It's hidden. So he has to just take that step of faith, that leap of faith. And as he steps out, his confidence is that I don't understand how this is going to work, but somehow I'm going to be able to get across. And then his foot hits the bridge. And that confident faith is confirmed. And for me, in my own life, that's my experience of following Jesus. I remember 18 years old asking Jesus into my heart, making that decision to follow him and just kind of having that faith like, Jesus, I, 
I'm not 100% sure. I can't prove this with any shadow of doubt, but I just believe that you are who you say you are. I've seen the transformation in the lives of my friends who have told me about you. I'm gonna take that step of faith. And it was confirmed and it's been confirmed and confirmed and confirmed ever since in how he's been a part of my life. Maybe there are some here this morning who have enough confident faith to take that step but still have questions. Maybe it's time to take that step. Step towards Jesus. I think your faith will be confirmed. So earlier I said that it seemed odd, didn't it, that Jesus would say to the crowd, will you never believe unless you see signs and wonders? You see, I think Jesus knew in that moment there will be people who don't get to see me with their own eyes perform a miracle, but who I want to still believe in me. So he saw this opportunity with this, this government official's son, this nobleman's son, to demonstrate how that is still achievable. Because think about it. We get to read this story all in one go this morning, but the people who were there at the time with Jesus, all they saw was this rich nobleman arrive, this kind of embarrassing situation where somebody of power and wealth was begging Jesus. You don't see that every day. They heard Jesus say, go your son as well, and then that's all they knew. There was no 24-hour news cycle, no social media, no newspapers. They saw that guy walk off into the distance, and I think some of them probably went home that night saying, I wonder what happened there. Maybe days or weeks go by, and then someone's coming through. They're like, hey, I just took a trip to Capernaum. I was over there, and I bumped into a guy in the tavern, he was telling this story about this. And I said, I know the guy you're talking about. I was there that day. He's like, his son was completely healed. Miracle. He's like, I remember Jesus saying that. I always wondered what happened. I'm gonna go back to Cana and tell all my friends. There would have been people in the crowd that day who saw what took place but didn't see the miracle with their own eyes. And yet when they heard what happened, they believed. And I just wonder if John included this story, if Jesus performed this miracle in this way because he knew that there would be others in his day, in the years to come, and in Washington, Illinois in 2022, who didn't get to see the miraculous signs take place in, per in person. But we get to hear the account of people like John. And on that, we choose to believe. Maybe you're facing a crisis right now. Maybe you're not. But if you've got just an ounce of confidence this morning, I would challenge you to take that leap of faith. I think if you will, you'll see your faith confirmed today. In a moment, Justin's gonna come out and close out the service and make some announcements. One of the announcements he's gonna make is for a baptism service that's coming up in a few weeks' time. You might be somebody here this morning who God's tugging at your heart and, and you feel that that's the next step for you is to, to be baptized because you know for you that's, that's crossing that line. That's making your faith real. That's saying, I do believe that Jesus is who, I, who he says he is and I wanna be baptized. I want everyone to know that I, I'm a follower of his but I'm still kind of on the fence here. I'm still not 100% sure. And maybe for you, your step from confident faith to confirmed faith will be saying, I wanna do that. I'm gonna get baptized. I wanna go public with my faith. But whatever it is, wherever you find yourself this morning, I hope and pray that you'll have the courage, the faith to maybe take that next step towards him. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And John, when he wrote these words down hundreds of years ago, 2,000 years ago, 
It was because he wanted people to believe based on what he'd seen. He wants to spread the word. If you'd seen what I've seen, you too would believe. I believe because I got to saw, because I got to see these signs with my own eyes. But trust me, even if you didn't get to see it, let me tell you what I saw because I want you to believe like I believe. People in John's day who knew John personally would have read those words and maybe their lives were transformed because of John's written word. But how incredible that God is still using the words of John 2,000 years later to transform our lives. Lord, I pray that everyone here this morning in this room, everyone watching online, if there is anyone here watching who still is uncertain, who still has questions, Lord, that that wouldn't stop them this morning from taking that, that first step, Lord, that, that confident step to say, well, I, I haven't figured everything out, but I'm willing to take that first step towards Jesus. I believe, Lord, if they'll do that, their faith this morning will be confirmed. So give them the courage to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.